Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, what's up, guys? How are you all this week? Hopefully, well. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing. Big Things Crewing is a company we started and we cater to ultra marathon runners. If you need coaching or training plans to get you to the start line, of that big race or adventure, we've got your back. We can help you out there. And if you need crewing or pacing to get you to the finish line, we can help you there as well. Anything ultra marathon, we've got your back. We're all about it. But not just ultra marathon, we can help you with your fitness too. You wanna lose a few pounds? You wanna lose 50 pounds? Uh, You wanna get out and Run your first three miles, run your first 5K, 10K, we can help you there too. Give us a shout. You can find us at big-things-crewing.com. We're on all the socials. We are out there. So give us a shout. I love hearing from you guys. How was you guys' week? Um, I was, uh, lucky enough to get up Long's Peak one more time. I don't know how many times I've been up there. 25, 30 times. I don't know. But, uh, a good buddy of mine, Mr. John T. Sharp, is in town training for some, some big things that he's got coming up. And, uh, he's checking 14ers off the list and he hadn't done Long's yet, so... I had the great opportunity of getting him up to the summit. You know, man, I just love that. I love getting first-timers up there, up the peak of their choice. Um, taking someone up uh, up a mountain they've never been up before, I, I just love it. I love being a part of it. I love being there for it. I love helping them. I love assisting them. I feel like it's an act of service, but I also feel sort of selfish because I feel like I get as much or more out of it than they do. I don't know. I had a blast. Um, You know, I don't even mind the pace, you know. I mean, yeah, I'm a runner, but I don't care how slow they go. I I just love getting people up a mountain that they've never been up before. Um, You know, they're probably going to remember it for a while and... I don't know what it is. I I can't put my finger on it, but I absolutely love it. So, you know, uh, at Big Things Crewing, we do some guiding as well. So, you know, if if you're coming out to Colorado and you want to get up a peak, Boulder Peak or a 14er, and you need help doing it, we got your back there too. Give us a shout. We'd love to help. I just love being a part of that stuff. I got a great guest for you guys today. His name is Joshua Miller. He owns a company called Scheme Endurance, and uh, we're happy to announce that Big Things Crewing is going to be partnering with him and his company. Um, I'll let him explain 
all about what his company does, but uh, it's pretty exciting stuff, especially if you're a newbie runner or ultra runner, and maybe you work a full-time job or have kids and only have limited time and resources. Uh, Scheme Endurance is something you might want to look up, so check it out. But Josh also has a um, pretty interesting story. And, um, you know, it it takes a fair amount of guts for some people to to share their story, especially when it's a story like his. You know, we all didn't uh, come into the ultra running world as perfect athletes with perfect crystal clear uh, pasts. And Josh is no exception. I am no exception. You know, we've all got pasts. And uh, Josh has a a pretty cool story. I mean, you know, he was involved with uh, some drugs, some pretty hardcore addiction. And uh, eventually he got clean and uh, found ultra marathon running. So... It's just a really cool story. Um, Josh is a good buddy of mine, and and we have uh, a lot of things in common. So I really, really enjoyed talking with him, hearing the long version of his story, and uh, looking forward to a lot of things in the future with him. So um, I'll leave you guys with that. I'm excited to bring this conversation to you guys. Um, Let me know what you think. Give us a like. Give us a thumbs up. Leave us a review. Share this episode if if you know anybody else that could benefit from it or would be interested in it. Uh, Whatever you can do to help support this podcast is truly, truly appreciated. So with that, I would like to introduce you to Mr. Joshua Miller. Do big things, baby. All right, welcome to another episode of the Do Big Things podcast. I'm here with my buddy Joshua Miller from Scheme Endurance. How you doing today, buddy? Good, man. Thanks Good. for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, tell us about Scheme Endurance. Yeah, um, so in a nutshell, Scheme Endurance is an all-in-one platform, including training and recovery for endurance athletes. So uh, over the past four years, I've kind of noticed, you know, especially here in Boulder, there's so many different options that you can have from, you know, 20 different chiropractics to, you know, 20 different body massage therapists to, you know, sports psychologists to nutritionists. And it was just kind of like a information overload. And I had no context. I didn't know, you know, which ones were good, which ones were fit for me and which ones weren't. Um, so I decided to uh, start Scheme, which actually just started out as an apparel company. But um, once I, you know, kind of formulated this idea, I started forming Scheme. So the idea is that any training need for endurance athletes that you have, Scheme can provide that. And we do that by um, sending out a curated questionnaire where we learn about you, learn your goals, your needs, your experience levels. Um, you know, there's about 20 different aspects that we talk on. And then we use our uh, network of practitioner and partners to pair you with the person that's most fitting. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of experience running, we might part you with one coach over the other. Um, Same thing with nutrition and body work and chiropractic. Um, And the biggest thing that's benefit for athletes is just peace of mind. Like you don't have to worry about setting up appointments. 
you know, sending out, you know, paying all these different practitioners, like we do all that for you. We schedule the appointments, we just take one billing each month and it takes care of everything. Um, and you know, there's very different levels. So if you want to spend just some money, you, you know, we could give you a bronze package, which, you know, might include some nutrition work and some chiropractic work, or you can go all the way and get like a platinum package, which pretty much includes sports psychologist, chiropractor, sports massage, and nutritionist. Um, so yeah, it's basically just an all-in-one place where you can fulfill any, you know, endurance running need that you have. Wow. Yeah. So it's like an all-in-one stop shop. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually what I call it. It's like an endurance athlete one-stop shop. Nice. Um, I actually should probably make that my tagline now. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> no, but yeah, and I mean, we focus on kind of purging negativity and replacing it with positivity. Um, so I kind of got that from my experience. I've learned that, you know, ultra running and endurance running really helps you purge, you know, past negative experiences or, you know, um, depression or anxiety or anything. And it helps replace it with positivity. Um, so that's kind of our mantras. Um, purge negativity and replace it with positivity. So that's kind of in all of our messaging is that we want people to be open about their experiences and work through those and become a stronger person uh, at the end. I like it. Yeah. I like it, man. I feel like there's a lot of um, people in ultra running that have sort of a um, like a sordid past where, um, you know, they might've had eating disorders or like drinking problems or something. So that seems it seems pretty fitting, but, um, so like, what if I, I'm a, say I'm one of your clients and I'm kind of knocking on your door, trying to see what you guys are all about. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm a middle of the pack runner, but I want to get a little bit faster. And I, but I have a back problem and, uh, you know, my, I have an Achilles problem. And, um, so, you know, what, what would you be able to do for me for something like that? Yeah. I know that's kind of random, but... No, no, no. No, I mean, that's a great question because, you know, people have specific needs and it can be really difficult to work through partners or, you know, sports psychologists and, or, you know, massagist or whatever and find the right person for you. Um, so that's kind of why we have the big questionnaire. Um, and we ask, you know, questions from goals to health to, you know, any underlying issues to your experience level. And then after that, um, there, there's a follow-up call with me where I ask more about, you know, hey, you answered this way. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Or, you know, I have them expand upon areas. Um, so we're currently building our network of uh, practitioners. And I've tried to find people that, one, have the same mindset and kind of vision of, you know, purging negativity and replacing it with positivity, but also... Mm -hmm having a variety of partners. So, you know, we just don't want to have, you know, 10 coaches that do the same thing. We want to have mm -hmm. 10 coaches where each one of them can help, you know, from the beginner to the expert to the elite. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, uh, we, 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 uh, we can fulfill those needs. And that's kind of like our main goal of Scheme is, you know, um, having those people that have tried so many different options and can't find the right person. Our, our goal is to, you know, really empathize and understand that because we all are different and unique and we really want to find the right person. Um, so yeah, we kind of do that through the questionnaire and then the follow-up call and um, that follow-up call can last anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, depending on, mm -hmm. you know, the things we have to talk about. Um, but yeah, any need, I mean, if you're somebody that has like 20 different specific needs, um, you know, we will try our best to find, the best nutritionist and sports psychologist and coaches that, you know, best fit you and your needs. Hmm. 
And so you guys also set up the appointments and do all the billing as well. That seems like a lot of work for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually been like our biggest, uh, I guess, pain point with setting this whole thing up is that, you know, a lot of practitioners and when I say practitioners, I mean like, you know, people who coach and do nutrition and stuff, uh, they have their own platforms that they use, their own billing and scheduling platforms. Um, so it took me a long time to find a platform that really fit everybody's needs and that could kind of work in unison with their business outside of scheme. Um, so yeah, um, I actually am doing all that right now. So I'm the one that does all the billing, all the scheduling. And what's cool about the platform that we use is it houses all that. It houses anything from, you know, disclosures you need to sign or to videos that you watch to learn how to work out or scheduling or billing. Um, and it's all billed once monthly. Um, so, so, you know, you're not going to see like five different, you know, fees from five different people a month. It's just one bill from scheme each month and that's charged monthly. Um, so yeah, yeah. So we wanted to make it as simple as possible and you know, it is a hassle having to schedule all that stuff and bill out and remember appointments. So scheme does all that, you know, it, it takes care of billing, scheduling, it sends out reminders for appointments. Um, so that you don't have to spend your time talking to, you know, five different people and trying to, you know, figure out, you know, what you're supposed to do. So. Wow. Wow. So we're in Colorado. You're based in, in Colorado. You live in Denver. We're mm -hmm. in Boulder right now. Um, what happens if I'm living in Wyoming or Wisconsin? Is this something that I can still utilize or is it is it just for uh, someone in Colorado? Yeah, yeah. So that's a good question too, especially like how the world is right now with everything going uh, virtual and on video. Um, mm. But yeah, that was an aspect too is I wanted to pick people too that had experience with being virtual with clients. Mm. Um, so the coaches, the nutritionists, you know, all the practitioners we have already have experience with working virtually um, and that's our goal because someday I want to be able to provide services to you know everybody from you know California to Maine mm -hmm. um, you know I want to help fulfill people's needs who live in places where they might not have access to practitioners you know mm -hmm. the right coaches or nutritionists um, so yeah that was one of my main goals is to find people who have experience with working virtually um, because yeah that's our long-term goal goal is to you know start in Colorado, but, you know, be able to provide services to people from all over the country. Hmm. So most of it's done virtually, but I'm thinking like if I need, um, you know, like a sports therapist or a chiropractor or something like that, are you still able to set that up outside of the state? Yeah. So with that, um, so like right now, uh, the chiropractor in let's take like a, our strength and mobility coach, she has a ton of videos that you can watch and follow along. Mm -hmm. But if you need something that's in person, like say you need a chiropractic session, mm -hmm. um, you know, that would be, uh, super difficult to do, but we are open to, you know, setting you up with people in your area. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of one of my goals is to learn about more practitioners outside of Colorado to, you know, if somebody in Wyoming said, hey, I need a chiropractic session, you know, I'm doing everything virtually, but I can't get chiropractic, I can be like, okay, we'll go to this doctor or go to this doctor, um, mm -hmm. and then just work in partnership with those doctors. Um, and that kind of, you know, brings up another aspect is I want to have practitioners that are all over the US too, so that no matter mm -hmm. where you're at, um, you can, you know, go to in-person sessions um, if you need to. Um, but yeah, that's definitely... Um, one of the big aspects because, um, you know, especially nowadays, you know, not a whole lot of people are meeting in person. Um, mm -hmm. so 
yeah um either way we'll find out how to fulfill that need whether that's you know ho hooking you up with somebody else or trying to do things you know over you know uh online or virtual wow so i mean potentially this could be worldwide though right i mean like i do a little bit of coaching and i have a client in germany and you know we just communicate through whatsapp and emails and kind of go back and forth that way but if it's all done virtually i mean you could go all over the place right yeah, 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 oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's, that's cool. uh, yeah, and that's one of our goals. And it's really cool because there's so much new technology and tools out there right now that it's really you can almost have the same experience virtually as you can mm -hmm. in person. Um, um, I mean, you know, besides stuff like getting a chiropractic session, but mm -hmm. in terms of coaching and nutrition, there's so many tools out there that yeah, I could have a client in Australia or France or Russia sure. um, and be able to provide those services. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a goal too, is to you know start Colorado, U.S., and then go you know worldwide and be able to provide those. Wow. So you mentioned like the mental aspects uh, as well. So what if I'm a potential client and I come to you and say, um, you know, I'm a middle of the pack runner, but I just don't feel like I'm going to be able to get any faster. I, I try and get faster, but I just can't do it. I always end up in the middle and I would like a top 10 finish within the next year or two. I mean, is that something you can cater to? Can, can you work with someone like that or how yeah. does that go? Yeah. So, um, Yes, yeah, so that's one reason why we wanted to include sports psychologists in there as well, which, you know, kind of sounds weird. And that's, you know, something that probably, you know, not a whole lot of people have experience with. But, um, but, you know, part of scheme and covering all the facets of training, you know, you know, most of it to me is mental. Um, uh, I mean, sure. of course, you got to eat right and you got to, you know, work and stuff. But, you know, the mental aspect of ultra running is huge. Um, so that's why, you know, we're working with a variety of sports psychologists, too. Um, and two, uh, uh, a lot of the partners I have, I know really well, and I have experience actually using their services. Mm. Um, so I know that their mindset is very supportive and it's very growth oriented. And, you know, I've gone to my, uh, chiropractor at the Cairo lab, Ellen, who's a partner at scheme and, you know, said, said that exact same thing, you know, like two years ago, I was like, man, I'm injured, you know, I'm a piece of crap, you know, like I'm like, I'm never going to, uh, win a race again, like all this stuff. And you know, she spends a lot of our sessions, even though she's a chiropractor, you know, talking to me about it, asking me, you know, why do I feel that way? Or, you know, mm -hmm. here's some things you can try or, you know, here's the experience I have. Um, and that's what's cool is that a lot of the partners too have experience actually running ultra distances and endurance athletes. Mm -hmm. So they can share their experiences with you um, to help, you know, kind of any need or any hiccup or any obstacle um, that you have. They um, they could at least, you know, help and be able to talk to those things and be able to help you out. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's pretty cool, man. I mean, it's a great idea. You know, I mean, it, it really frees up the time of someone who's an aspiring runner or ultra runner. And, you know, they just want to, they just want to focus their time on, uh, putting one foot in front of the other and getting their training in. But injuries pop up, mental doubts pop up, uh, family stuff pops up. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that can come up during a person's training. And, uh, so you guys are able to kind of step in and, and help out with that. I think it's, it's pretty awesome. How did you come up with this idea? Uh, uh, actually don't, um, yeah, cause scheme started as an apparel company with just selling like running clothes and stuff. And this was back in 2016, but you know, I moved to Boulder in 2016 and that's really when 
the endurance and ultra world kind of opened up to me and I could see it, you know, at a high level, like, oh, okay, so this is how the endurance world works. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of noticed some things that I changed, like, um, like, you know, I do that from when I'm driving, from when I'm eating, I always try and figure out how to improve things and make things Mm -hmm. easier for people. Mm -hmm. Um, so as I was going through the experience, I went through a variety of, um, chiropractors and body specialists because I had an IT band issue Mm -hmm. and I was like, man, you know, I've spent all this money on people that, you know, aren't really specific or catered to my needs or, you know, they don't have experience with ultra runners, so they don't know the best way to provide service. Um, and you know, I was wasting money, you know, I was spending tons of money Mm -hmm. and, you know, going Mm -hmm. to different people. And I was like, you know what, if I have this problem, like, like a lot of other people have it too. Um, because yeah, I mean, just in Boulder, there's hundreds and hundreds and you know, Boulder is a small city and there's probably hundreds of different people you can choose. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I was like, well, I, you know, I'm a busy guy. I work too. And I try and run ultras. So how can this be easier? And I was like, well, what if there was a place where all this was taken care of for you? You know, all you had to do was, you know, talk to me and a couple other people and fill out a questionnaire and, you know, follow through with it. And then everything could be figured out for you. Um, cause, um, cause yeah, there were some times where I forgot about appointments cause they didn't send reminders or, mm. you know, I forgot to mention something. Um, so yeah, that's what scheme does is, um, just like you said, um, in fact, that's actually on our website is, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. Like that's what we want people to focus on is just that the, you know, the running aspect, getting yourself mentally and physically prepared. We don't want you to have to focus on, you know, researching all these different people that might not be a good fit. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I came up with it. Just kind of over time. Um, I started this new iteration of what scheme is today and what it will be, uh, probably about a year and a half ago. I just kind of like simmered on the idea for about a year or two and, you know, talk to a couple people that I work with, a couple chiropractors and nutritionists and coaches and bounce idea off them, bounce the idea off, you know, people in the running community. And, you know, they were really interested in it and felt that it would really help people out. Um, so yeah, the last six months is when I've been really kind of actually implementing and, you know, taking action and, you know, building a website and, you know, calling new practitioners and stuff. Um, but yeah, it just started out as, you know, a need of mine. And then after talking to other people, I found out that, you know, other people have that need as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've wasted time and money as well. Like, you know, trying to find out the right chiropractor or the right, uh, even just a general practitioner, like, you know, a lot of these doctors, they find out that you run ultra marathons in your spare time and they just look at you and say, yeah. what are you doing? Like, yeah. don't, don't run that much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, you don't get it. This is my lifestyle. This yeah. is something I'm passionate about. This is, this is what I do. There's really no getting around it. I've been doing it for years and I'm going to continue to do it. And, you know, a lot of these doctors say, well, running that far is not good for you. And in a lot of ways, yeah, running 100 miles isn't necessarily good for you, but um, that's what we do. Yeah, so, you're going to do it anyways. So. going to do it anyways. <laughs> so you can just nail down like the right doctors and send people in the right direction rather than wasting their time going to the wrong doctors. Yeah. 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 And I actually had that same experience too. Um, I was at a BRC run and I won a raffle for like this like visual analysis of running gate at this place. Oh, yeah. And um, I told him I ran at ultras and he was like, what? Like, why are you doing that? Like, that's horrible for your body. And I was like, <laughs> dude, like, you're not helping me here. Like, right. I'm going to do it anyways. And <laughs> so I finally found people who are partners today at Scheme who know that you're going to do it anyways. And most of them run ultras. And if they don't, they understand. Um, 
and they allow you to push yourself to the limit without injuring yourself. Um, so that's what I like about my chiropractor, Ellen, at, um, at the Chiro Lab and my sports massage and strength and mobility coach is that she knows me and she knows the ultra world. In fact, she started running ultras now after, you know, I was talking to her about it a couple years ago. And she always kind of lets me do my thing. But then at some point she's like, hey, Josh, like you need to, you know, change this or we need to, you know, change your workout because you're training like crazy and you're going to get injured. And, you know, I used to not listen to her because I was in this mindset of like, you know, go hard and go crazy. But then when I found out that that causes injuries, like I, I finally started listening to her. Um, so, yeah, that's what's cool about the partners is that they accept you, who, who you are, what you're doing, you know, the fact that you're running, you know, 30 to 100 miles, you know, um, and they support that and they're there to help you not to, you know, judge you or to tell you to not do it. So. Mm -hmm. They're there to work with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I call them partners because um, they really are partners, you know, not only partners to scheme the actual company, but they're partners to athletes and they're there to empower and to, you know, improve and grow the athletes to, you know, achieve whatever goal they might have. Mm-hmm. And you guys have, do you guys have nutritionists as well? Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a nutritionist at a Carbondale. Okay. Um, um, uh, her name is Kylie um, and she's with Fly Nutrition and she is a big ultra runner too. Cool. Um, um, she actually used to live around here, but she moved out to Carbondale. Um, so yeah, once I found her, I actually got her suggested to me by one of our coaches right now. And I talked to her, I was like, she's awesome. She knows the ultra running world, you know, her, her nutrition methods and strategies are specific for ultra runners. Um, so she knows, you know, all the biology and all the chemistry behind the body and she knows what the body needs before, during and after a race. Um, so yeah, I've been working with her for about three or four months now and she's great and awesome. And, and she's even helped me, um, uh, uh with my nutrition too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, people come to you guys and to her with all sorts of different, uh, you know, backgrounds as far as the kind of food they're eating. So, you know, what happens if she gets a vegan runner that, that hits her up or someone that comes in and they say, I've been doing the keto diet and this is what works for me and my body style. Um, does she does she sort of negotiate that and and bend a little bit to how people are eating or does she point them in in one separate direction? Yeah, yeah, and that's what's cool about her is she has a lot of experience with a lot of different types of eating. Um, okay. Like I didn't want to get someone who is just you know uh, specialized in you know eating keto or mm -hmm. eating vegan because mm -hmm. not everybody's like that mm -hmm. and you know some people don't do any of that and just eat normal mm -hmm. um, so yeah I'm actually vegan so mm -hmm. she's helped me out a lot um, mm -hmm. but yeah she caters to all different types um, you know she will watch and make sure you know if you say something works if you say keto works but she notices that it's not you know mm -hmm. she might suggest like hey let's change this around or change that but at the end of the day, she trusts you and how you feel in your body, and you, and you know she tries to stay in line in that. Um, but yeah, that's what's cool about her. She has a lot of different experience in you know keto, paleo, uh, vegan, or just you know normal, I guess quote unquote uh, normal, non-specific type eating. Um, so yeah, she can definitely cater, um, which is really important now, especially because we don't have you know a hundred nutritionists. It's important to have people who can cater to a different type of mm. eaters because I don't want someone to come in and eat a certain way and, you know, then not be able to be, you know, catered and their needs met specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, our, our, um, one of our current nutritionists does, you know, has a large gamut, a large array of knowledge and nutrition and, you know, different 
uh, styles of eating as well. Mm-hmm. Got it. So how long have you been vegan? Uh, I, uh, I've been vegan two different times. Um, okay. so I was vegan from 2014 to 2016. Um, and this was when I was working out a whole bunch and, you know, back before I started running, like lifting. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, like so bodybuilding. Vegan and bodybuilding. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And like all these people were like, Oh, it's not going to work. You need meat and protein. And like, yeah, you do need protein and iron and B12, but yeah. like there's a lot of different options out there now. Like there's yeah. so many different options um, that you can choose from. Um, so yeah, I did that for a while. And then what was funny is that actually when I moved to Boulder, I started eating meat again, which doesn't sound right because it seems like <laughs> if you moved to Boulder, you would start eating vegan. Right. Um, but yeah, ate meat and ran, you know, uh, uh, up until probably only like eight months ago, um, probably like back in October, November. And I just noticed I was feeling tired all the time. You know, I was getting sore all the time, which isn't always due to nutrition, but I was just sore. I was tired. I was lethargic in the morning. I was just like exhausted. I didn't want to get out of bed. And then I remember back to a couple, you know, back in 2014 to 16, I was like, you know what, when I was eating like that, I felt good and energized and I wasn't tired all the time. Um, so yeah, I tried that and you know, it's really helped my running out. And of course, you know, this is just uh, specific to me and my body, but mm-hmm. it's, it's really helped me, um, run. I always am energetic. Um, I don't get as sore even despite running harder than say I did like two or three years ago. Um, and yeah, just feel overall energized when I eat. Um, cause before when I eat, I would just feel exhausted and tired. But now when I eat, like I don't ever get stomach issues. I don't feel tired. I don't feel like I want to go to sleep or have a food coma. Um, mm-hmm. it just makes me feel really energized. Um, so yeah, I've tried so many different types of eating. Like I've tried keto, yeah, paleo, yeah, all that type of stuff. And for me, vegan seems to work best for me and the type of activities that I do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. I think that everybody's a little bit different there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've tried vegan and I don't know that I necessarily did it a hundred percent right. You know, I mean, I did some research before I did it, but you know, after a while I was kind of getting headaches and uh, I just wasn't feeling like my best, my best self. And so I started incorporating a little bit of meat. And so, you know, I sort of have this cross pollination diet from, you know, between, I don't know, vegetarian, pescatarian, uh, keto, uh, paleo. I don't even know what I eat. I mean, I eat a little bit of everything, yeah. but sort of all in moderation, but I eat meat two or three times a week. And, you know, me personally, I, I think I feel better that way, but you know, everybody kind of has a different story there. So I think you just have to play around and, and figure out what works for you. Everybody's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's cool about eating is that it is kind of an experiment, you know, and it's kind of fun. Um, and like you said too, like it's all about moderation. Like yeah. back before I was vegan in like 2013, I literally would eat a T-bone steak every single night, every single night for about almost a year and a half. I would eat a T-bone <laughs> steak and like, that's not moderation. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and like, I mean, let alone be like how expensive it was, but I was just so tired and lethargic all the time. Um, But that's kind of why I always take nutrition advice online or articles with a grain of salt because everybody's different. And, you know, me eating a certain way might work for me, but it might not work for other people. Um, So that's why, like, nutrition advice and eating advice needs to be really specific to the person because everybody's, you know, uh, everybody's completely different and you know, what worked for me might not work for you or vice versa too. Why were you eating a T-bone steak every single night? (laughs) I actually don't know. Um, I was like working out and I was really into Arnold Schwarzenegger Uh, and 
So I watched like um, Pumping Iron. Pumping Iron. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I watched that like once a week. Oh, I, was like, I love oh, that man. movie. To I'm this Arnold day, I watch that movie to this day while like while I'm doing push-ups <laughs> in the living room. <laughs> yeah, no, man. He's like so like just hearing him talk and everything. I'm yeah. like, dude, I'm gonna eat so much meat now yeah. and just like flexing <laughs> and everything. So yeah, I did that. It was super expensive and. My stomach was in horrible shape all the time, but yeah, definitely not going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you lifting a lot? Were you pretty big back then? Yeah, or? yeah, I was like, I was like two thirty back Whoa, then. Yeah, I was what's huge. Way now? Uh, only like one fifty five, one sixty. That's what I thought. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so I started doing that like two, three hours a day, and yeah, dude, I got up to like two thirty. I actually competed in a bodybuilding contest. Oh, like no I kidding. was huge. Like I was massive, and like oh. when I look at pictures from like 2013 to 14 I'm like it looks so weird because my head is so small my body's like <laughs> huge so it looks so weird wow um but yeah I did that for a while just experiment and yeah I mean I don't really work well I do work out now but it's more like stability and mobility to help with my running and stuff so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow yeah I kind of did the same thing like way back in the day I, I I spent the whole winter just eating like a maniac and lifting weights like twice a day and I got up to like 196 I was almost at 200 pounds and uh but I was I don't I, don't, I wasn't really doing it the healthy way I mean my guts were so full of food all yeah. the time that like I'd bend over to tie my shoes and it kind of hurt yeah like dude. I was just trying to put on as much mass as possible and uh it's funny, man. A lot of ultra runners say that, like they were into lifting weights or bodybuilding at one time, and then yeah. eventually kind of got into ultra running. So. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and like weightlifting, like especially like eating a whole bunch, like I was doing working out, it it, it can be like so hard on your kidneys and liver. Oh, yeah. um, like taking all that protein powder, eating all the meat that I was, like like my kidneys would literally hurt, you know, like during the day because yeah. it was trying to filter out, you know, all this stuff because I was eating like eight to ten times a day like I would literally set an alarm for 3 a.m. every night and I would get up at 3 a.m. and eat food because <laughs> I wanted to eat like every three or four hours um, so yeah definitely going from one extreme uh, to the other but this one is you know more healthy and makes yeah. me feel a lot better <laughs> yeah. wow wow man so yeah, man. So scheme endurance. So do you have a, like a website up or I know you're at flow state on Instagram. Yeah. At, uh, at primal flow. Oh, primal yeah, flow. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Flow, yeah, okay. yeah. Flow state. That's my fiance is uh air salon studio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually it kind of, uh, uh, actually kind of dries off that like primal flow like getting into that flow state into so, the flow yeah. state yeah, yeah that yeah. was her idea as well yeah yeah that's pretty cool I, I dig that idea you guys were on the same sort of thinking with yeah. naming your businesses so do you have a website or um, where can people find you yeah it's uh, schemeendurance.com and then we're on uh, Instagram is scheme underscore endurance okay um, and yeah the website's out um, we're still making like some small iterations to it um but yeah um it's up there so people can visit it that's cool man so um uh the path uh this path that eventually led you to ultra running wasn't necessarily an easy one right mm -hmm. so like um would you mind telling us about your past and how you eventually found fitness and running yeah like where yeah. you're from and it seems like you're kind of from an entrepreneurial mindset as well so yeah um how did it all kind of come together i know it probably wasn't an easy path but give yeah us, give us the backstory <laughs> yeah no it definitely wasn't um and yeah i definitely learned a lot along the way um 
But yeah, I started, you know, I mean, I'm a recovering addict, um, so, you know, I used to do drugs a lot. Um, but yeah, so back in like, uh, I think I was 14 or 15 was when I first did drugs, and it was actually a really hard drug. The first drug I did was cocaine, and mm. from that moment, I was like out in the woods with my friends, and from that moment, you know, because I've, um, I've kind of worked through it a lot recently, but ever since I was little, all I can remember is having depression and anxiety, and really? it was almost like overbearing, you know, uh, that in combination with like the teenage angst and like the high school thing, like just really, I, yeah, I was just down all the time. Um, so yeah, I started using drugs in high school. Um, I wasn't really a partier cause I like to do them by myself cause mm -hmm. I didn't want, you know, people to see me doing them cause I would always do a lot. Uh -huh. Um, so yeah, I did that, you know, I actually did good in school. Um, good in high school, you know, went to college. Um, but in my first year of college, I actually started drinking, um, and I wasn't really a big drinker before that. I always was mainly drugs. In fact, I only think I drank once or twice um, when I got into college. But yeah, I started drinking, um, and then of course that drinking led to inhibitions going down, and then me wanting to do drugs. Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of got back into that in college, and you know started using a lot. Um, it was I believe in my second year. I was a sophomore, probably like 2010 in college when when you know i dropped out of college because you, know, you can't really be a drug addict and go to college at the same mm -hmm. time because you're either using or finding out how you're gonna get money to use you know mm -hmm. um so yeah i had this house and it was just like this crazy house that i lived in where you know people came over and used with me and we all just did drugs and you know would get all you know paranoid and thinking people were like after us and stuff mainly so, doing coke uh i was mainly speedballing speed um balling. yeah so i experimented with a lot of different types but nothing was you know quote unquote strong uh strong enough for strong me or enough. the goal where i was wanting to go mm -hmm. um so i typically do opanas which are like these really really strong they're like stronger than heroin they're 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 super strong with these pills I would snort those and then I would top that off with either Adderall or Coke if I could get my hands on it. Um, so yeah, I did that, which is horrible for your body because one of the drugs is slowing your heart down and the other one is speeding it up. So like, it's so easy to die off that and I'm, thank God I, you know, didn't. Um, but yeah, I was using all the time. Um, you know, of course, didn't go to school. I was, you know, stealing from people, lying. My parents like, changed the locks on their house, you know, they were crying because they were so scared of me, because, um, man, dude, I was, like, crazy, I was, like, this crazy, like, um, like, if you watch cops and you see those, like, people that are, like, tweaking out, you know, I was, like, one of those dudes, except for yeah, I would like, just stay in my room all day, you know, um, just paranoid, yeah, like, looking out the windows, yeah, thinking people are after you, yeah, like, dude. all that, yeah, yeah like, yeah. Where, where did you go to school again? Uh, Middle Tennessee University, okay, so um, this is in Tennessee, yeah, yeah, so it's right out of Nashville. Um, okay. And where and, were you from originally? Uh, I'm from Washington, D.C., well, uh, 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 Northern Virginia. Um, okay. So I was born there and lived there until I was 10. And then at 10, we moved to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is kind of like a suburb mm -hmm. of Nashville. Um, and yeah, I went to, you know, fifth through college um, there. And um, yeah, and yeah, and uh, college, you know, I was using all that stuff. And the time when it got really bad was when I started dating. Um, this girl, I'm not going to say her name, but uh, I started dating her and she was a recovering addict, so she wasn't using anymore. But of course, once she started hanging out with me, she started using again and, you know, she ended up losing her job, you know, getting back into drugs with me and we would just spend like all day, you know, in my room using or, you know, stealing or doing whatever we had to do to get the money to, you know, buy the drugs that we were buying. Wow. 
Um, so yeah, just uh, spent all that time using, and then uh, at one point she ended up, you know, doing something really bad. She borrowed my car and hit someone and almost killed them, and Oof. you know that was really hard because she was driving my car. Um, uh -huh. And so of course she went to jail for a long time because she was already on probation. Um, and, and, you know, I was alone then cause I didn't have my, you know, codependent partner with me to use. So I was like, shit, I need someone who's going to take care of me, who I can take money from, who I can sell their stuff, um, <laughs> which is horrible saying. And it's, and it's like crazy, like the mindset that you get in when you're like in active addiction. But it seems so normal when yeah. you're in it. Like, yeah. I mean, all is... it is, is like survival. You're like, yeah. I have to survive and yeah. you don't have to use drugs, but that's literally what you're thinking is like, I'm going to die if I don't get this drug right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I ended up hitting up one of my ex-girlfriends from high school who was like this really goody good, like rich girl who's in a sorority. Um, and of course, you know, me, I looked crazy. I had like a mohawk and like, I was like 120 pounds or something. Um, so I hit her up and started hanging out with her cause I was like, you know, she's rich and she has a lot of money, so she might be able to help me out. Um, and then one day she went on a sorority retreat with her sorority and she had like all these expensive clothes uh, in this closet, like these super high-end clothes. So uh, I took broken. all of them. Yeah, uh. yeah. I actually like <laughs> let her like. Um, I actually um, she actually let me live with her because I got kicked out of the previous house I was in because of all the crazy drugs that I was doing and the parties that I was having with people. Um, so got kicked out. Was pretty much homeless for a couple months. I was just kind of you know sleeping where I could or if I could sleep at somebody's house I would. Um, and of course they would kick me out cause I was, you know, I was an addict and I was crazy. Um, so yeah, I started living with her. Um, and yeah, when she left to go on the sorority trip, I just took all those clothes and I went to a place called Plato's closet, which buys mm -hmm. consignment clothes. And dude, like if those things were full price, it would probably be like 10 to 15 grand, but I got like 300 bucks for it or something. <laughs> and of course I used all that money and went straight and bought, you know, as, you know, as much drugs as I could. Um, and yeah, she ended up finding out because, uh, when she got back, she was, um, um, she was looking through my phone because she didn't trust me for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, she saw me texting the dealer and you know, I had, um, she saw that and she was like, how'd you get that money? And I was like, um, cause her closet was in another room in the house that she didn't look at. Okay. Um, and I was like, um, you know, I lied to her. I was like, I found it. I don't, I don't really remember what I told her. Yeah. Um, but a couple of days later she found all the clothes missing <laughs> and of course she, she flipped out. Uh, um, and, um, she called my mom because she like didn't know what to do. And so my mom came over and they were both crying. They were like, dude, you've been doing this for like three or four years. Like you're going to kill yourself. Like you need to stop. You're stealing stuff. And I was like, damn, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to rehab. I'm not ready yet. Um, so they made me go back to Plato's closet and get her clothes back. Um, Oof. and the lady, um, uh, my, uh, the girl came in with me and she thought it was weird at first cause I was selling a bunch of women's clothes right. and she was like, so did he take these from you and you sold it because we can call the cops. And she was like, no, he didn't. And I was like, thank God that she didn't tell him that. Um, but yeah, once I got back to the car, um, ended up doing a whole bunch of other stuff. And when she left again, I did all this crazy stuff and ended up kind of just breaking down and just being so tired of like, just this constant, like, like I was on a hamster wheel, just constantly going after this cheese, you know? Um, so finally broke down and said, yeah, I'll go to rehab. Um, so but, how old were you at this point? Uh, I was, let's see, this was like 2011. So I was probably like 22 maybe. Okay. Um, and yeah, started using, yeah, I was probably 22 and I started using heavily like every day, like addict wise, like when I was 18. So probably about three years. 
So um, you're still in college. Yeah, yeah. So like, what's a typical day look like back then for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I was in college. I was at the age of college, but yeah. I had dropped out because okay. you know. Well, actually, the first the first semester, I didn't even drop out. I just didn't show up to any of the classes, and then you know, of course, I failed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I didn't go to school for about a year and a half um, there. Um, but yeah, typical day for me would. Just be, you know, I probably sleep in till noon or one because I was up late last right. night using, yeah. you know, if I would sleep because some nights, you know, some days I would Stay go up. three or four days without sleeping, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if I was sleeping, you know, I'd wake up at around noon. If I didn't have anything to use, I would try and search on the floor or something if I didn't have any money. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I remember getting on the floor with, like, a flashlight and, like, just searching for any type of powder that I could find and just putting it in a bunch and just snorting it. And there was probably, like, yeah, man, there's probably dust, dirt, like, who knows what was in there. Um, So, yeah, I would do that. And then, you know, of course, that probably wouldn't work. So I would either go to my parents' house. If they weren't home, I would – this sounds horrible, but I would either take money where I knew my mom had it or I would find something in there that I could sell – um, which is horrible. Um, but that's, that's, yeah, that's the life of an addict. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but, I mean somewhere or, or another, I would, you know, find money or find a way to get drugs fronted. And then I would pretty much just use all that up and stay up as late as I could. Um, but yeah, so it pretty much was just, uh, pretty much my whole existence was just like use and figure out how I'm going to get money to use again. And that's, the only thing I thought about, like, I didn't think about eating. Like, I don't even remember eating in those three years. I mean, of course I did, but like, that wasn't something that I thought about. Like, I probably never showered. I probably never brushed my teeth. Um, cause you know, all that's kind of hard to remember when you're using all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would do that. Um, or if, you know, when I was dating that girl before she would find ways to get money and there were various ways that she did that, which were not that good of ways, but it helped us to get the money to buy the drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, typically what a day was, was just, you know, use and, and, you know, keep going. Yeah. And I was only, yeah, like 21 or 22. Um, and yeah, ended up on the way to that rehab. I, um, it was, it's called Cumberland Heights in Nashville. It's actually where Johnny Cash, uh, went, went oh, would go to rehab perfect. and he actually like built a whole wing there cause he would oh, wow. go there, you know, here and there. He built um, a wing for himself? Uh, yeah, he built a wing where he, <laughs> he, he, he kind of stayed in when he went oh, there. Wow. Um, yeah, so went there, but then on the ride there, I, I, I was so high when we were driving up there because I was, my parents told me that I was trying to jump out of the car, like on the highway. Like I was like, I hate this. Like I hate my life. Like I'm just going to jump out of here. And they said that they had to like hold my shirt. And that's crazy that I was doing that, but I was probably... Do you remember like, this? No, I don't remember it. So you were so high, you don't even remember it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was high and drunk when I was going up there. I was going to ask if you were drinking, yeah. too. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, I would drink. Um, I mean, that wasn't, like, my drug of choice, but I would if I couldn't get enough drugs. Yep. Um, or I wasn't high enough, or, you know, I would just, you know, take pick whatever was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I got there, but then on the way I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this whole rehab stuff. Like mm-hmm. I like, like I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went to the intake, they interviewed me to figure out what, you know, whether I was going to do inpatient or outpatient. And I like tried to lie as much as I could just saying that I didn't have a problem and I just used a little bit and my parents are really strict and they're just freaking out and trying to make a lesson. So I ended up then suggesting outpatient um, rehab, which was, you know, at the time I was like, yes, because I can still use and just go once a day to this two or three hour meeting, Mm -hmm. um, which was stupid. Um, But yeah, 
ended up doing that for about, I think it was like three or four months. And I ended up getting kicked out of that because they do like intermittent drug testing. Uh And I thought I studied the pattern that they would test you because they did it randomly. But of course, you know, they probably noticed I was high in the meetings or something. Uh Um, And yeah, so felt out of that. And then my parents like, hey, you're not coming back to our house. Like you're still using like you're and so I know where to go. Um, so I ended up going into inpatient, um, and that was for about a month. Um, were you forced into this inpatient or was it, did you do it voluntarily? Uh, I did it voluntarily, voluntarily, but I only did it because I didn't really have any other didn't options. Have a place to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was like, sure. You know what? I would love to not do these drugs, even though I'm not ready, but I might as well try it. Mm-hmm. Um, so did it. It was super hard. Um, for the first two weeks, my heart was like really messed up and they had to have me like under... Uh, they had this like orange bracelet on me to have me under medical supervision because mm-hmm. my heart which was just going crazy because of all the stuff that I was doing. Um, so that kind of scared me a little bit because, um, of course, I was sober in there and I was like, oh, man, like, like shit, is my heart going to explode? Like, mm-hmm. um, like is it going to stop beating? Um, so that really scared me. Um, but yeah, I actually had a good experience there. You know, they had great food there. They served like, you know, the best food there because they're trying to fatten you up, you know, because mm-hmm. you're you're very underweight. Um, so yeah, in that month, I, I think I gained 40 or 50 pounds, wow. like in that one month, just cause I was so like malnourished and not eating. Um, and yeah, did that, got out, you know, I was doing pretty well. My parents let me live with them. So you did like 90 days there? Uh, no, I only did a month. Um, I actually wanted to do more, but the insurance wouldn't cover it. Yep. And it was like really expensive. For sure. Um, so, and my parents were like, Hey, you know, we'd love you to do that, but we don't have the money for that. And I was like, okay, cool. Then we'll, you know. So while you were there, were you giving yourself up to this program or were you thinking about getting out of there and using right away? Uh, I was just kind of in the daze, you know, right. like my mind wasn't thinking straight. Like, I don't even remember what I thought. In fact, I don't remember that period even as much as I don't remember the actual using because just my brain was just so fogged up and mm. it was... You know, I don't really remember much from there. Um, I just remember how good the food was. Um, but yeah, I mean, I attended the things. I participated. I, you know, did what I had to do. And uh, actually, when I got out, I felt good. Um, well, I didn't feel good, but I felt more positive about mm-hmm. getting sober. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, after a couple of weeks, you know, I was like, you know what? I'll just drink some. You know, I've never mm-hmm. really had a problem with drinking. Um, so started drinking at my parents' house. Um, did you have was, a sponsor or anything at that point? Uh, I was going to meetings and I don't think I had a sponsor at that point. Yeah. Um, I think I got one a little later cause okay. yeah, I wasn't all the way bought into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't do the 90 meetings in 90 days when I got out of there. Um, I did later on. Um, but yeah, I would go to meetings every once in a while just to kind of like tell my parents that I'm trying so yeah. that they would let me live with them. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah, I was about 23, um, there probably, this was probably like 2012, um, 2013 Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, every night I would go to the gas station and buy three forties and I would chug one on the way home and then drink the rest up in my parents' living room in the upstairs, which was kind of separate from the rest of the house. Mm. Um, and you know, of course I didn't want to throw them away in the trash can because they would, you know, clink around and (laughs) you know, they might find them and you know, there wasn't any other trash cans around. Um, so I kind of stored them in the attic. Um, there's like this crawl space, this, this wood thing that you pulled out and I would just put all the bottles in there. Um, but then Christmas time came around and my parents got in there to get lights and they just saw like hundred, you know, hundred or hundreds of beer (laughs) bottles and, you know, liquor bottles and vodka and all kinds of stuff. And, 
you know, I hit it pretty well to that point because I wouldn't drink until they were asleep. Um, but they were, but um, but they had no idea. They were like, "Look, you need to like get this fixed, or you need to get out of our house right now. Like we're done." Um, so ended up going back to outpatient again because um, I wasn't to the point where I needed a detox. You weren't um, using drugs at that point. Uh, I think I used them every once in a while, but I didn't really. Drinking. Yeah, I didn't really have any money, and I knew that if I got suspicious, my parents would know, and you know, okay. end up kicking me out. Okay. So yeah, I would do it every once in a while, but of course that leads you know to a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, did that, and um, yeah, just kept kept drinking, and once they found that, you know, I ended up going back to outpatient again. Um, ended up getting kicked out of that cause I was abusing sleep medication. My psychiatrist was giving me, mm. um, I was taking like tons of, um, um, uh, what do you like call Ambien it? or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ambien. Yeah. I was taking tons of that. And since my tolerance was so high for drugs, you know, if normal people take it, they'll start hallucinating. If mm-hmm. like, like if they don't go to sleep, they'll start hallucinating, but it really just relaxed me. I would take a bunch of it and stay up and it would just get rid of that, you know, that awful anxiety and depression that was there that I was trying to not notice and realize. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I did that, um, and got kicked out of the outpatient because of that. Um, and then and something that happened after that was actually a moment that kind of got me really thinking serious about getting sober was that, you know, I didn't really have any other options left. I had tried outpatient, inpatient, nothing worked. So the person at the outpatient, his name was Stan. He's an awesome dude. He was like, look, there's this place, way out in the woods, you know, I, you know, I don't know if it was in Tennessee or it was called Stillwater or Clearwater or something like that. And it was just this retreat. It was a male only, like there was only 10 and you stay out there for three months. And it was like this like retreat where you like, it was like really intense rehab for people who kept like failing at rehab. Um, so we went back to Cumberland Heights to sign up for Stillwater and, um, I ended up changing my mind there. I was like, Nope, I'm not doing this. You know, I'm not doing this. I'm done. Um, I went and sat outside to smoke a cigarette and my mom didn't know I was out there and she just burst out and she was just crying and she just like, you know, fell onto this like wooden post and was just like, just gasping for air and crying. And like at that moment I was, I I really saw how much like I hurt my, my family and those close to me. And that really kind of broke me. Um, you know, cause granted I had hurt them a lot in the past, but that was the first time where I actually like saw the pain that I was causing people. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, didn't go to the still water, didn't go anywhere, but just kind of try to do it on my own. Um, and, you know, I actually was drinking still a little bit, but I ended up getting a medical excuse for ADHD and all this stuff to go back to college. Um, and they accepted it. They kind of wiped the slate clean for that semester. I got, I filled out of, um, went back to college, you know, I was going to college. Um, I moved out of my parents' house, moved into an apartment. I was still drinking all the time. I wasn't using as much, but I was trying my hardest not to use. I mean, I still was, but not at, on, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one night, you know, I took a bunch of uh, muscle relaxers and drank a whole bunch and went over to my buddy's house. He said I was acting out of it, like way out of it than I normally was. And he said I took all my clothes off and I ran around the house a couple times and then got in my car and started driving. Um, and, and, you know, he said he flipped out cause he knew how messed up I was. Um, ended up almost getting on the highway, but I went over the line and I hit somebody head on and Do you remember any of this. No, I don't remember. I, oh. I was completely blacked out of it. Wow. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And like, evidently the cop had one like handcuff on me and I, all I had almost was my boxers and I was running around trying to run away from him. <laughs> and he actually was a really patient cop cause he could have just like 
pummeled me and right. like, you know, tased me and done all this stuff. But I saw the video in court. Well, my lawyer saw it in court and told me he was just acting really calm. He knew I was messed up. So he's like, look, just get in the car. And so I went to the car. I finally snapped out of it um, when I was in the holding cell. And um, I started freaking out because I had no idea why I was there. I was like, what am I doing here? Like, because... Cause you know, I could have killed somebody. I could have, you know, done something. I could have started a fire and burn a house down. You know, I had no idea. Um, so when I went to get my bug shot, I was like, what happened? And she was like, you hit someone with your car and she didn't know any other details. So I started freaking out. I was like crying in the mug shot. I was like, did I kill somebody? Like, did I hurt someone? Um, ended up getting bailed out by my parents. Um, and you know, thank God for my parents. Like I put them through a lot, but they've learned a lot. Um, cause nobody knows how to handle an addict, you know, nobody yeah. knows any of that until yeah. they go through it. Um, but that was kind of the last time they helped me out. They were like, all right, we'll help you out this one last time. But after that, there's nothing left. Like we're completely done with you. So I was like, all right. So got out of that. We went back to get my car where I thought I had wrecked. Cause I remembered a certain area, like when I was going in and out of the blackout and the car wasn't there. Um, and still at this point, I didn't know if I had hit someone or killed someone or anything. Um, ended up finding out a week later that I just hit someone and they weren't hurt, hurt or anything, which thank God, man, like out of all the bad things that I've done, like hitting that person's car was the one thing that I, that took me a long time to work through because mm. granted I didn't hurt them, but I could have killed somebody based off my decision. And mm. you know, that would have been a horrible thing. Um, so yeah, I went through the whole court system, had to go to jail for a couple of days, went to this like rehab education thing which was a complete joke but I still had to go there um, and then actually did really well after that um, I you know continued to go to school um, I you know worked my butt off I got really good grades I got an internship at you know one of the best advertising agencies in Nashville they hired me as an intern um, graduated college and actually got a job there mm -hmm. um, and you know from that day that I kind of you know got that DUI I mean I did drink a little bit after that but soon after that I kind of finally came to my senses and was like all right I'm at my bottom like I have no other options right now like I don't have a job I don't have money I filled out of school and from that point on is when I just kind of went up you know mm -hmm. um, so yeah definitely went through a lot of different things there's definitely up and down times you know some people's sobriety you know they might be late taking their kids to school one day and quit drinking you know mm -hmm. but some people have to go through more and some people have to go through a lot more than I did mm -hmm. um so I'm just glad that you know my family trusts me now um they you know they understand they're supportive of me um they like how I've grown and where I became um but yeah glad that I didn't end up really you know hurting someone you know to something that sure. you can't fix sure been a lot know? worse man yeah yeah, dude. And I mean, even that, I mean, just being alive right now, like, I mean, with all the stuff I was doing, like, like I could have easily died, you know, I could have easily, easily died, but I didn't. Um, and, you know, that's really awesome, too. And that, you know, is what makes me thankful is that, you know, when I'm going through tough times now, if that's at work or, you know, in my training, I'm like, you know what, I'm alive right now and I could have been dead, you know, six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it definitely puts things into perspective and gets you to look at life, you know, one day at a time versus, you know, trying to think months into the future. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so, so your car accident and your DUI was kind of your rock bottom, but you said you drank a couple times after that before you really quit. 
So, I mean, did you end up finding a program that you jumped into or did you go to another rehab or how did you finally get sober and stay sober? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what helped me. It was finding a great sponsor. Mm -hmm. Um, so before that DUI, I hadn't really been going to meetings cause you know, I didn't really care at that point, but after that DUI, you know, it was court mandated too. I had to go to, um, and go to meetings, but I did the 90, um, 90 meetings in 90 days after that. Um, and really started to like it, you know, it was kind of like a oasis for me. It was a safe place where I could go talk about the things I've done, not have anybody judge me, um, get advice from people, get, you know, experiences. Um, and I got a sponsor at that point and, you know, we really bonded. He was a guy in about his sixties. Um, and I actually went to AA because I noticed in NA people were either high in the meetings I went to, or they would literally just die and not come anymore. So it was hard to find a stable person. And you know, that's not how all NA meetings are. That's just my experience with it. So I went to AA cause there were a lot of old timers there who had been sober for a long period of time and could have a lot of perspective and advice. Um, so yeah, I got that worked through the steps twice with him. Um, in the beginning I still was drinking a little bit, but you know, once I got more into the program, I quit, um, drinking. Um, but yeah, it was definitely my sponsor. Um, he actually came to my graduation, you know, he, you know, visited my family, he got to know him. Um, and then when I moved here um, back in 2016, um, uh, I mean, of course he's not my sponsor anymore. Um, but I do talk to him, um, uh, uh, here and there, just things that are going on in my life. Um, um, but yeah, it was definitely a program and my sponsor that helped kind of get me through that period versus, you know, reverting back to drinking and using again. Mm -hmm. Dang. I mean, so your, uh, your experience at AA was ultimately successful. I mean, nowadays people are getting sober by doing all kinds of different stuff. Like some people are able to just quit on their own. Some people are going out and doing these ayahuasca ceremonies and they say that keeps them sober. Um, but I always just felt like, you know, AA has its issues. I think it has its problems. It's not necessarily perfect. It could maybe be updated a little bit, but it's basically free and it's on, it's in almost every town, you know, within a few miles, you can probably find an AA meeting. Yeah. So, I mean, um, there's a lot of positivity you can find there. Is that why, well, I mean, I guess you chose AA because you really didn't have many other resources. I mean, it, yeah. it was just, that was all that was left at that point, huh? Yeah. 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 And it just comes down to like that hole. Cause like, it, cause like everybody in the world, no matter who you are, you have that black hole inside you, you know, yeah. and some people fill that with, you know, certain things, good things, family, friends, a job, but some people fill that with, you know, drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about nutrition is that if somebody wants to go do ayahuasca and that helps them, Hey, cool. If someone wants to, you know, go to a spiritual retreat or do yoga, Hey, that's cool. You know, as long as it helps you, but if you don't face that underlying reason, you know, whether that's trauma or, you know, a mental disorder or, you know, my case, um, would, would be, that would be anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. If, if you don't face that, no matter what you do, you're going to revert back to using, you know, at some point. And that could be a month from now, a year from now, or five years from now. Um, but yeah, that's what AA really helped me do was to kind of get the BS aside and just really figure out why I was using. Cause, cause at that point I didn't know, I was like, you know, I haven't been through a traumatic experience. I have a great family. Like, why am I using right now? And you know, the more I thought about it, you know, depression and anxiety were such an extension of me that that's just who I was. Like I was so used to feeling like that, that, you know, I didn't know any better and AA really helped 
to show me what life could be if I worked through those things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, and of course you have to, you know, do that externally sometimes with a psychologist or, you know, just on your own by, you know, running ultras. Um, but yeah, that's what AA really helped me with was kind of to get the BS aside and, you know, just get straight to the point of, you know, what I need to work on so that I don't end up being, you know, an active addiction again. Mm. So, I mean, you said that this anxiety and depression has been around since you were like in your young teens and you don't exactly know what it came from. Do you feel like this is just something that you were born with or you said you didn't really remember any traumatic experiences happening? Like, how are you able to sort of reconcile with that and, and work your way around it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I still think about to this day because, yeah, I mean, I've tried to remember. I'm like, did I go through something and I just blocked it out? Mm -hmm. Like, like, did I have something happen? Like, and, you know, even working with psychologists in the past, I haven't found anything. But yeah, I mean, I do think I was just born with it. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's a just a genetic thing that I was born with. Wow. Um, you know, it, those type of things run on both sides of my family. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I was just, you know, and, you know, many, some of my close relatives were addicts or alcoholics. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's how they dealt with it, too. Okay. Um, but yeah, I yeah. And honestly, you know, I you know, I still suffer from anxiety, you know, but it, it really didn't get a whole lot better, probably only up until a year or two ago, you know, mm -hmm. so I'd been sober for, you know, like four or five years before I actually, you know, started getting over that. And that was through ultra running and endurance mm -hmm. running, you know, it, mm -hmm. you know, they talk about running at your demons, like that's what pushed me in my runs and my races were, were those demons, you know, mm -hmm. that I, you know, memories that I had from when I was using or any shame that I had, you know, really helped fuel those. And, you know, I don't really, you know, I still have demons, but they're not as impactful and have a hold on me as much as they did, you know, like, uh, you know, two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's definitely been a process. And some people think like, oh yeah, you get sober and you're going to feel so much better and you're going to do awesome in life and love it. But that's not how it is. In fact, it's harder to get sober than than going through using and your anxiety and depression is going to get worse because mm -hmm. you don't have those things to fill it, you know? Mm -hmm. So you need to find those tools that are healthy for you that help, you know, get you past that without killing you or putting you in jail or, you know, putting you in rehab. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, when I got sober, I think this is about to run out. Oh, gotcha. We can restart it again. <clears throat> um, when I got sober, like, yeah, I thought I was just going to be better right away, but instead I was dealing with all this like mental anguish and the depression and anxiety that I was kind of wrestling with as well and had to go seek, you know, help from, yeah, a program, a, a psychiatrist and had to sort of face those demons head on. But, um, it's yeah, hard. It, it, it's real hard. Trust yeah. me. So, all right, man. So this, this is about to run out. So I'm going to stop this and we're going to start it again in just a second. We'll be right back. And pick right back up. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Part two. Okay, we're back. Sweet. Right on. All right, man. So, I mean, that was a really powerful story. I mean, just going through your addiction and, um, 
it's crazy how the life of an addict is just so far removed. Like once you've stopped using and you've got a few years under your belt or even a year under your belt, it's like looking back, it's like, you know, sometimes I wish I had a time machine just to go back and like look at myself because it's like, I, I can't even believe that that was me sometimes. I know. Is that how you feel? Yeah, man. It's crazy. <laughs> like, like, I mean, I literally look at it as me is a completely different person. Yeah. Like, I mean, and that's how my family looks at it, but yeah, it's weird looking back on it and it's surreal and I still have dreams about it sometimes, oh, but yeah. yeah, it literally feels like that was me in a parallel world than I am yeah. right now. It's, it, it is creepy. <laughs> so you have dreams like you're using and then you wake up and you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh, dude. Those yeah. are hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually have, uh, well, I mean, I don't have a lot, but I have sleep paralysis uh, yeah. sometimes, which is where your body's stuck in between an awake and sleep stage and you're pretty much just frozen but awake and you often see like figures come towards you, like you start hallucinating but you can't move. So it's like the freakiest thing ever. And like the first two years that I got sober... Um, cause I would have, um, uh, oh, what do you call it? Um, urges, um, shoot, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, uh, like urges to use, I guess, like, like, like really heavy ones to where it would just control my mind. And mm -hmm. when I would have those, I would have sleep paralysis. Um, and I would typically have a dream about using, or I would have a dream that, even though I was sober, I woke up the next day and went to use or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and they were often coupled with sleep paralysis. And I would always see a dark figure come towards me. And it would start just one sleep paralysis session where it'd be at another part of the house. And then another one, it would come closer. And finally, after a couple of days, the figure was right above me. Um, yeah, and I kind of called that like my dark passenger. So yeah. like... I'm driving the car, but there's this dark other part of me that, you know, sometimes wants to take the wheel and drive the car, but you got to kind of like elbow them or throw them out the window or something. Um, and like, I mean, that's how I explained it. I mean, it could be anything from just, you know, chemicals in my brain to, you know, whatever. But yeah. I kind of look at it as that dark passenger kind of trying to come back and, you know, tempt me or to like start to take over my life again when I started using um, but yeah, that's kind of how I look at it too, is like a split personality, which I'm sure you can understand where it's like, that's like a whole other person that you are. And all it takes is, you know, using that one time or that one experience to you to snap back into that other, that other person, you know, that's mm -hmm. still in there that you have mm -hmm. to work on, you know, leaving down in there. <laughs> For sure. Wow, man. So after you got so, so how long have you been sober now? Uh, I've been sober for... Man, I had the exact date. Um, almost, let's see, almost seven years. Okay. Um, wow. And yeah, yeah, I was keeping track. In fact, at one point, I was gonna get a tattoo on my sober date, but I kept relapsing. So I just kind of <laughs> was like, I'm just gonna do this, and like, if I don't use, then hey. And so yeah, that was back in like 2013 or 14. Okay. Um, so yeah, I've been sober since then. Wow. Um, and yeah, of course, I was you know, still drinking before I got sober. Um, but so, so yeah, I'm been sober off drugs for a little bit longer than alcohol. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I always just say six, seven years. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then, uh, so then you started getting into fitness. Yeah. Like you, almost right away or how did that work out? Yeah. It was probably like three or four months after I got sober. Um, and that was just cause all the anxiety was coming back and I would just like like I couldn't sit, I would just get like these crazy, like just like body convulsions where it was just anxiety. And one of my friends that I still have was like, Hey man, you should go work out. So I was like, all right, cool. 
tried it out the first time I did it. I, I, my arms were literally to their sides like this for a couple of days because I couldn't <laughs> move because my body was that much messed up, you know? <laughs> um, so that didn't really give me a good like feeling about it, but yeah, started working out and got really into it. You know, I was working, you know, like I said, every day for a couple hours a day and you know, that, you know, that was kind of a substitute for me to kind of get through that period, but it really did help me work through like all the anger and like self-loathing and shame and anxiety and depression I had. And it really helped me get through that like really hard part, which in my opinion is like the first year um, of getting sober. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that um, working out in weights really helped me get through that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you're just stuck with all these feelings inside your head and you have to deal with them in a new way. You're completely sober and, and just so raw. I remember, I remember myself anyways, I just felt so raw and I was so, uh, sensitive to everything, yeah. you know, like everything hurt like 10 times more than it should. And like senses even like light and stuff. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And you're just stuck dealing with it all. And, and, uh, you got to find a way to work that out. So yeah, thankfully you found uh physical fitness and exercise and then that, and so that's what eventually led into you know, like you lifting a lot of weights and getting into bodybuilding. Yeah. That came first. Yeah. So yeah, so that was definitely first. And then I started running, um, probably two years after that. Okay. Um, so like a couple years ago, two, uh, years ago? 2015 is when I started running. Okay. Um, I started working out in like end of 2013 up to part of 2015 and actually it was somebody that I worked with uh, I had like a little crush on her and she was like hey do you want to train for this half marathon and I was like all right sure like I've never ran I weigh 230 pounds right now um, but sure why not and did it and I absolutely hated it because it was road running and I hated it did the half marathon you know, a 230 pound bodybuilder running is not really that good or graceful. Um, so yeah, hated it. And then after that, she was like, Hey, I'm going to sign up for a trail half marathon. So I was like, sure. Why not? Did that and really just fell in love with trail running ever since Mm -hmm. the first time, just being out there alone, you know, being out there in nature and, you know, just being along with your thoughts, working through things, getting in that flow state, you know, on the turns and the corners and stuff. Um, and she ended up, you know, not doing anything after that trail half, but then I signed up for a 50 K and just kept going. And then, you know, finally, you know, got off all that muscle that I had, cause that was just holding me back. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had to eat a ton of food when I was running because my body required so much food cause I weighed so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's really what, what got me started wow. was kind of like wanting to go after this girl who was a road runner and <laughs> ended up, you know, completely changing my life. And now, you know, that's what I do. Wow. So you skipped the marathon distance and went from half marathon to 50 K. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. went right to ultras. Yeah. It was called the stump jump 50 K in, oh, yeah. in, uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, I've heard of that. Um, it took me like eight hours, Whoa. you know, which, you know, which is a long time. <laughs> well, if you're that heavy. Yeah. 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 yeah I was, yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that was awful. Did you I train for it or just jump yeah. right in? Yeah, there was this group in Nashville called the Ultra Dirtbags. There was this group of trail runners at a Fleet Feet store there. And yeah, I did the whole training thing, but I still, you know, weighed in my, you know, in the 200s. So I was huge. Um, But yeah, after that, like 2015 and, you know, the last part of 2015 and 2016 on is when I finally got that weight off and really started to enjoy running because I could actually run without, you know, feeling like I was going to die all the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Wow. So, um, what happened after your first 50 K? I mean, did you just jump right to 50 miles or, um, did you do a few 50 Ks or when you ran that 50 K, did, did you think in your mind at that time it was one and done, or did you know that this is something that you wanted to get into and go, f- go further? Oh yeah. No, when I was running that 50 K, I was like, heck no, I'm never running this <laughs> again, which I still do to this day in, in, in some races, but then when I finished and I sat down, I was like, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I just did that. Like, like I feel so good. Like I accomplished something awesome. And even though I was just wrecked and sore, like, like I think the next day I was trying to find my next race, um, oh. which was cloud, Cloudland Canyon, 50 miler, okay. um, near Chattanooga on the border of Georgia. Um, so yeah, I did that probably like six or seven months later. Um, and yeah, that was difficult too. Um, cause I didn't really have any crew or pacers at that point because I wasn't really ingrained in the trail culture like I am today. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did that one by myself and, you know, got wrecked from that. And then I believe I just went on to a hundred K, which was, um, Sun Mountain hundred K up in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, I drove up to my aunt's house who lives up there in, um, Ellensburg, Washington. And, yeah, did that. And then for that point, I was like, well, the only thing left up now is a hundred mile. So, yeah. yeah. So signed up for the 2017 Zion 100 yeah. in right outside of Zion National Park. Yep. Um, and at that point I still didn't have a coach. I was just looking up training programs online and on images, mm-hmm. which is different for everybody and different for races. And at some point I just quit looking at the training program and just was like, I'm going to run as hard as I can for every single run. And that means that I'll do well in the race, which didn't turn out well because (laughs) of course I was wrecked. Like I didn't taper right. Like I was running up hard until the last week I was doing like 110, 120 mile weeks when I'd never ran a hundred mile before. And yeah, I mean, I finished Zion 100 back in 2017, but you know, I was completely wrecked after that. And you know, I almost didn't finish it. Um, and then did 2018 Zion 100, um, and I did some other races um, uh, in between that, but yeah, at at the 2018 Zion 100 is when I really kind of became the runner that I am today. I started seeing Ellen at the Cairo Lab, who really helped with my injuries and, you know, got my mind straight on how I need to train and eat and run so that I can best perform. Um, So yeah, that Zion 2018 was kind of like my turning point, which turned me into the runner I am today versus just someone who is, you know, trying to, you know, just do the craziest thing that I could do. Um, but yeah, and then I've done, um, a couple more hundreds. Uh, I did Palisades 100, didn't finish that DNF at like mile 60, but then I ran, um, uh, Sangre 100. Um, and then I did Sangre 100K, uh, uh, the year before that. So yeah, I mean, I haven't done like, you know, 30 or 40 ultras. I've probably done like 10 if that um but yeah i mean it's more about the running for me and i kind of just you know if i'm feeling good and i'm running then i'll sign up for a race like i don't really plan my year out like i'm not like i'm gonna run this 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 i normally sign up for a race like three or four months before it happens yeah um and yeah i haven't raced since september i haven't planned a race yet since then um just with covid and everything and i'm you know trying to focus on other growing other areas of my life like scheme and my job and stuff mm-hmm. um but yeah i'll race someday you know whether that's in this fall time or you know next spring yeah for sure so going back a little bit i'm curious when you were doing like your first 50k 50 mile 100k were you did you have any friends that were doing it or were you driving to these races totally on your own and just jumping in and just seeing what happened yeah, when I lived in Tennessee, it was mainly just me kind of doing it by myself. And 
the running group that I ran with, the Ultra Dirt Bags, like we'd all train for the same race okay. and we'd all go to the race. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, so I had friends there, but um, when I moved here is when I got really, you know, like ingrained into the culture and saw that, you know, there's so many people in Boulder, most people in Boulder, you know, do some type of sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I started getting a lot of friends in the running community and pacers and careers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, I was kind of just like, just doing it on my own, like that Cloudland Canaan. I didn't have any pacers or crews or anything. Mm-hmm. I just drove up there by myself, which was stupid because after my first 50 miler, I drove home like an hour after that. And I was having like foot spasms and like hitting the gas really hard and going back so i definitely learned from that point on that i need to have at least someone to come with me so that they can try yeah, going back yeah. it's funny man i went through all the same mistakes in my early running career like you know i would take advice from all these different people but everybody's like body types are different and the way everybody you know negotiates running these ultra distances is a little bit different but one thing that i had heard is like when running these long distances, if a runner starts hurting, uh, a lot of these ultra people will take ibuprofen out there and they also use caffeine to stay awake while they're doing these long runs. So my first ultra, I took way too much ibuprofen and yeah. way too much coffee and my kidneys shut down. Yeah, dude. Oh, oh really? dude, it was so painful. I remember I finished my first, it was my first ultra. It was a 38 miler. And uh, I remember just going home and curling up in the fetal position on this little footstool and just massive pain. Wow. Oh, dude. So it's like, you know, I was a total neophyte, didn't know what I was doing, was taking bad advice from anybody I could get advice from because this is back when, you know, there was a little a little stuff on the internet, but it was just hard to, to I didn't have a coach, didn't have any training plan. I was just going out and doing stuff on my own and, and fumbling my way through it and making all the mistakes. So Did you have to go to the hospital for the kidneys? I didn't just, because I didn't even know what was happening. I uh, just sat in the fetal position like in massive pain until it finally went away and drank oh, a bunch of water and... Oh, dude. So I've made every mistake in the book and <laughs> learned the hard. I mean, that's how I learn. I learned the hard way. Exactly. You know, <laughs> life of hard knocks. I mean, that's how I learn. Like, I don't learn unless something bad happens. For sure. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like we're kind of similar there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so your, your drug days are way behind you. How do you stay sober now? And is it something that you still wrestle with or I'm, you know, years later, I'm sure it's gotten a lot easier, but how, how do you remain sober? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, even when I moved here in 2016, I had cravings that were horrible. You know, I just like my cravings didn't really like, and when I say cravings, I don't mean like, Ooh, I want to use, I mean like all consuming, like that's all your brain shoots at you is just drugs, drugs, drugs. Um, that probably didn't go away until about three years ago, like probably after a year after I'd moved here. Um, but yeah, how I stay sober now is you know, um, I don't go to, you know, meetings really. Um, I probably should. In fact, we talked about that at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have kind of found other things that have helped that have until this day, the last four years since moving here have, you know, really helped me. Um, cause back when I first got sober in Nashville, I, for those two years that I was there, I didn't really do anything besides workout and run, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't have those tools that, could keep me sober even if I had to quit running or working out. Mm-hmm. Um, so back like two or two and a half years ago, I actually quit running for three months just to show myself like, is running really the only thing that's in between me and using again? Oh, wow. Um, so that was kind of a risky thing to do, but mm-hmm. I did it and I came out of it like, you know what? I just love running. And, you know, I have kind of moved past that 
person that, you know, that I was before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, how I stay sober now is I just have a really good group of supportive friends who kind of know my past, who know, you know, who I am and they call me out on my BS, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have a, I uh, have an amazing girlfriend named Jules who, you know, has a similar experience with anxiety and depression. So mm-hmm. she can kind of spot things in me because I still go through it, you know, here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks to me through things. If she, if she knows I'm in a certain headspace, she'll call me out on it. She'll be like, what's wrong? Tell me. And she won't like, she'll keep at it because she knows if I keep, you know, simmering on it, it's going to make it worse. Um, is she a sober addict as well? Uh, no, no. Yeah, no, she's not. Yeah. Um, but but she understands yeah, anxiety, depression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she has experience with it. Um, so we can see eye to eye, which really helps too. Because mm-hmm. um, now that I've found that I'm, you know, that that's what caused me to use, you know, helping that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she helps a lot. You know, my family is really supportive. You know, it took a long time for me to build trust back with them. Yeah, how did that go? Um, it was it was super hard in the beginning because at first when they were like saying things or doing things like checking up on me or, you know, following through with things to make sure I wasn't lying. I was like really hurt. But then I was like, wait a second, dude, you just spent, you know, three or four years, like putting them into the ground. Like, like the least you can do is work with them, you know, cause they're your family. Um, so yeah, that took a long time. In fact, you know, to this day, I'll joke with my mom. Like if like she actually came to visit, um, recently and, we went out to eat and she was like, well, um, she was like, so what do you want? And I was like, oh, you know, I'll get a margarita. And she still looks at me like serious. She's like, no, you're joking. Right. And I'm like, yeah, 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 of course I'm joking. So it's still in there. <laughs> like that hurt is still in there with her, but uh-huh. like she, she does trust me now. And that took, you know, years to build up. Um, but, but yeah, so my family, my girlfriend, and then just the running community, like, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, I do live in Denver now, but all my friends and stuff are, you know, in Boulder. So I come up here, you know, to run, um, you know, here and there, um, you know, they help too. Um, you know, even if they don't have any experience with anxiety or depression or addiction, like just being out there with someone and connecting with someone and, you know, being with, you know, good people and people that understand you, um, you know, doing this act of, you know, running in the mountains together kind of really helps build, that connection and that love, you know, which is something, you know, that we're here for is to love and be loved. Um, and that's kind of what helps me is that love between, you know, my friends, my family, um, and my girlfriend. Um, and then of course just running and having goals. Um, I'm very goal oriented, which I think is why ultra running is very fitting for me because if I have a goal, I'm going to do whatever it takes um, to reach that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my career, like, you know, working in the tech industry and working in UX, like I love that. And that's my passion. And that helps me express myself and, you know, kind of like painting, mm-hmm. you know, it helps me express myself and get those emotions out so mm-hmm. that they don't turn into something bad. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a smorgasbord of different things, but I've yeah. tested and iterated on different things and some things work and some things do. And I've tried to just stick on the things that, worked for me in my experience. Yeah. That's it right there. It's different for everybody. Just like the diet, yeah. just like the training for an ultra, uh, just like staying sober. It's, it's not going to be the same, same path for everybody. You, you got to experiment, you got to play around and you got to figure out what's right for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause if you don't do that, you're going to end up miserable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But kind of like meetings, like, I mean, just cause meetings don't work for me, it doesn't mean that they might work for someone else. Sure. Uh, I mean, meetings are great. It's just, I've found other, Ways. So, you know, for somebody else that might be going to a meeting, you know, five or six days a week, or that might be, you know, 
painting or, you know, singing or, you know, doing the guitar, you know, yeah, you got to experiment or, uh, um, or you're going to end up using again someday. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. if you don't have that toolbox of those tools. For sure. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. It's, that's inspiring. Just hearing you talk. It's like, you know, it's like, I, I want to tell you I'm proud of you or something, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's inspiring I'm stuff. You, we're yeah. both, we're yeah. both on it. No, we're both in the, we have a lot in common for sure. Yeah. Do you have any daily practices or rituals that you do from day to day to like um, help your anxiety, depression, to help keep you sober, like meditate or anything crazy like that? Or Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to say like I get up at 5 a.m. and I meditate and I do all this stuff, which I have done that before. I don't do that <laughs> to this day. Um, uh, one thing that really helped me was float tanks. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so so a couple of years ago, I would do float tanks about once or twice a week, okay. um, and it can get really expensive. So I kind of quit doing it, but that really helps me get into that meditative state without um, having to, you know, spend three or four months practicing and to do it. Um, so yeah, I used to meditate, um, but now it just comes down to just doing things that I love. So you know, going to work every day and being able to you know express myself through the work that I do and. And, you know, that definitely helps me and is a tool um, as, um, as, as well as running. Like if I have a really stressful day or I have something that's on my mind, you know, like I recently just got a new job. And before that, I was stressing out about, you know, what if I don't get this? What if I don't? You know, I just go out for a run and I push myself really hard and I run really fast and I think through it while I'm running and I work through it. And, you know, I've never not had a run where I stop the run and I don't, and I don't feel better. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I always feel better. The problem is still there, but I've helped to expel and purge that negativity and replace it with positivity through running. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would just say kind of things that I do. Yeah. Are those things that I love, like my work and, you know, uh, and, you know, running a course is a huge factor in, you know, my daily routine as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, congratulations on the sobriety and, you know, um, like I said, you're, you have this sort of entrepreneurial mindset and and you've got a few different irons in the fire right now and you're starting businesses and I feel like you've just come a long ways. Um, like, do you have, uh, plans or goals for the future? Like what's next for you and for scheme endurance and, um, what's a couple years or five years down the road? Yeah. Yeah, so a couple years down the road, I definitely want to do scheme as a full-time like gig. Um, so right mm-hmm. now I'm, you know, uh, I'm doing it, but I'm but I still have my day job. Um, mm-hmm. So someday I want to have scheme as a you know national or global company that you know provides services to everybody, you know, regardless of their need, regardless of their location. Um, and then I also want to have retreat areas. Um, so I talked about this with uh, Ellen at the Cairo Lab, who's a partner having retreat areas where people can come for, you know, two, three, five, a week, two weeks, and just be totally surrounded by, you know, things that help their training. So there'll be an in-house nutritionist, there'll be, you know, coaches there, there'll be trails, you know, outside the door. Um, So yeah, that's definitely, you know, down the road, but yeah, definitely, you know, in five to 10 years, I want to have Scheme is a large, you know, company that provides services to people as well as different locations, kind of like, um, uh, kind of like retreat areas that people can go to to be totally, you know, encompassed and, you know, consumed in their training. 
Wow. Yeah. So um, with all your experience, you'd also be able to help people with uh, addictive tendencies, people that have, you know, drank too much in the past, which, you know, there's a, a good percentage of ultra runners that have these sort of, like I said, sorted pasts where they've, they've done things in the past. Like, what if I come to you and I have, uh, I'm getting over this really bad eating disorder and uh, I want to start running. Is that, is that something that you guys can work with? Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, yeah, that is kind of the basis of that, you know, is replacing that negativity with positivity. That negativity could be, you know, trauma or an abusive relationship or an eating disorder or addiction. So all the people that I make sure our partners in scheme have experience with those things mm-hmm. so that we never have to turn away anybody or say, hey, we don't have anybody for you specifically. Or, you know, don't just throw somebody at them that might not be a good fit. Um, so yeah, like, um, our current nutritionist has experience with eating disorders and our coach actually has experience with it too. Um, just, just, just working with people who have, you know, those things. Um, so yeah, that's something that, you know, I want to be able to provide, you know, somebody has an eating disorder. Hey, we have somebody that can understand that and empathize with that and, you know, not judge or point the finger, but, you know, be able to share their experience to help, you know, grow the athlete's experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, man. It's a great idea. And uh, we're happy as Big Things Crewing to be sort of uh, partnering with you guys as well. You know, if if someone comes to you guys and needs pacers or crew or, or something like that for their ultra marathon, you can, you can point them in our direction. And sure. uh, I know that kind of one, one more of many side projects for you is uh, you work with uh, our friends, um, Cairn Guides, and, and yeah. our buddy Jordan, and, and you're taking people up and down the local peaks here too, which yeah. we're sort of doing as well. So, um, yeah, man, a lot coinciding here and uh, happy that our paths crossed and, and looking forward to the future, man. For sure. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. And I mean, from that first time we ran, I was like, yeah, dude, we do have a lot in common. So, yeah, I'm glad I got to come today. And 100%. Talk and stuff. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing your story, man. It's super powerful. I'm sure you're going to inspire some people. So I think it's fantastic. So one more time, if people want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to do it? Uh, probably Instagram, uh, at primal flow. Um, yeah. Or you can visit, um, schemes, Instagram at scheme underscore endurance. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much for doing this, man. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to the future and, uh, you feel okay. How do you feel after all that? Yeah, I feel good. Yeah. Good. Right yeah, on. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, all right. Fun. Cool. Right on. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it guys. Uh, life is short. Do big things. Well, how did that one sit with you guys? I'm sure it was tough for some to hear and um, comforting for for other people. You know, I mean, I know people that don't have a, an addictive bone in their body and they have no addictive tendencies and they don't understand it. They don't get it. Um, they think it's just like weak people that are making bad decisions. But I know a lot of recovering addicts that are going to be able to relate, that are going to clearly identify with that story, and uh, might even listen to that and and be somewhat comforted. I couldn't help but think of uh, the James Fry novel, A Million Little Pieces. I know that he got a really hard time in the U.S., Uh, After publishing that book, mainly from Oprah and all of her minions, but it's one of my favorite books. Um, I stand by that. I love that book, A Million Little Pieces by James Fry. 
just gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, you know, whether it was 100% true or there was uh, some fiction in there. Uh, to me, it's just a beautifully written memoir, addiction memoir, and uh, that's kind of just what I was thinking of the, the whole time Josh was telling a story. But I've got a couple quotes from you, for you, not from James Fry, but from my man Mishka Shubali, who is also a recovering addict that found himself eventually getting into ultramarathons as well. So, um, the first quote is from his book, The Long Run. This is by Mishka Shubali. He says, What's the secret to my miraculous recovery, you might ask? Well, there is no secret, because there has been no miracle. I got better the way everyone gets better. By trial and error and error and error. By fumbling around and making mistakes but not giving up and working incredibly hard at it every day and eventually, through a painful and laborious process of eliminating every wrong turn, finding my way. And I have one more quote from him as well. Also, Mishka Shubali in from his uh, this is an excerpt from his book The Long Run. If you talk to little kids about drugs, they tell you that drugs make you feel weird and act crazy and hang around with strange people. Getting sober and running long distances has been deeply bizarre, weirder than any drug or combination of drugs I've tried. I do things now that my friends find crazier than doing drugs I've found on the floor or sleeping in the street. Ain't that the truth? My man Mishka, dropping knowledge uh, and uh, putting it out there very eloquently for all of us. All right, I hope you guys dug the episode. Joshua Miller, you can find him at Primal Flow on Instagram. And uh, like we said, his company's name is Scheme Endurance. Uh, Bringing all kinds of big things to you guys here in the near future. So I hope you guys have a great week. Give me a shout. Let me know what you thought. And uh, if uh, addiction is, you know, um, something that you or a loved one is is suffering, reach out. Um, you know, I tried doing it myself, by myself, um, a thousand times, over a thousand times. And uh, I couldn't. I couldn't break that cycle of addiction until I reached out to somebody, you know, until I picked up that thousand pound phone and asked a friend or asked a stranger to help me out when I was really, really struggling. So do yourself a favor. If any of this resonates with you, um, reach out, reach out to my man, Josh, reach out to me. We've been through it. We're not perfect but we can give you some advice or point you in the right direction. And uh, we would love to help with something like that because we've been there. We get it. All right, guys. I hope you all have a great week. Life is short. Do big things, baby.